This is the Chosen People Part 1. Okay. For the next few days, we're going to talk about the idea of a chosen people. What it means to be chosen. In my experience, it's very difficult to have a discussion of this concept um, in anything like an objective, unbiased fashion. The reason is there is a presumption, very widespread presumption, that for a people to be chosen violates a principle that is very widely um, accepted and believed to be fundamental to ethical thinking, and that's the principle of equality. Chosenness means that people aren't equal. And that's simply unthinkable. It's un untenable. It's something that people can't even discuss. The minute you're going to violate the principle of equality, you're just uh, out of court. People's minds turn off and their emotions start running. And it's impossible to have a discussion. So I propose to start with equality. Let's start with that. Let's think about that. Let's talk about that. Try to understand what it means and the extent to which it's reasonable to be committed to equality, perhaps limits beyond which it's unreasonable to be committed to equality. And once we have that uh, straightened out to the extent that we can, then I think the idea of chosenness can be discussed in a much more objective and fair manner. So let's start. First of all, there are different senses of equality or different applications of the concept, different dimensions. There is what we should call descriptive equality. That's the idea that people are, in fact, equal. It's a matter of fact about the world that people are equal. Then there is what could be called normative equality. That means people should be treated equally. That's a matter of what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. It's a moral idea, how people should behave. People should be treated equally. One is descriptive, and the other is normative. They're very different. They're different Categories, though, as is probably obvious, and we also certainly see in some detail, there's an important relationship between the two ideas, but they really are very different ideas. Let's start with descriptive equality. The idea that people are, in fact, equal to one another. 
Well, it's pretty obvious that that idea is correct in some respects and incorrect in other respects. Um, we all need respiration and nutrition. Uh, close enough proximity to a bomb will bring all of our lives to an end. We all have certain pleasures and pains in common. If you prick a person with a pin, he'll be in pain. If you uh, provide him with ice cream and he's normal, he'll be in pleasure, have some pleasure. If you embarrass a person in public, that'll be painful. If you praise him in public and reinforce him, that'll be pleasurable. So it's quite obvious that there are certain respects in which we are, in fact, equal. It's just as obvious that there are respects in which we are not equal. Physical respects, height, weight, strength, coordination, beauty. Intellectually, we are certainly not equal to one another in the various dimensions of equality, uh, of, of uh, intelligence. We're not equal to one another in character. Some people are inherently lazy and they struggle with laziness their whole lives. Other people are inherently energetic. They have difficulty getting out of bed in the morning at all. Some people are inherently aggressive and have to worry about insulting or injuring other people. Other people are very calm, placid, easygoing, and don't have that worry. Some people naturally empathize with others. Some people are cold. We can't fathom what other people are feeling. So, the idea of descriptive equality is true in some respects and false in other respects. That means no one can hold a blanket principle. All people are equal. Or if he holds it, then he's just clearly wrong. He's just out of touch with elementary facts about the world. And therefore, a philosophy that says that a particular group differs from other people can't be opposed on philosophical grounds that we are believers in equality and therefore we believe that all people are equal. And if you say that this group is different, you've got to be wrong and vicious since obviously everyone is equal. You can't oppose chosenness on the grounds that everyone is equal because no one believes that everyone is equal in all respects because that's obviously incorrect. What is possible is to ask if you believe in chosenness in what particular respect do you believe that people are that your group is different and then investigate in that particular respect whether it's accurate. 
that people in that group are different from others in this particular respect. One would have to mount an investigation of the particulars of the claim. But a blanket philosophical position that all people are equal and therefore we don't tolerate the idea of a distinguished group is an incompetent position because no one holds such a blanket philosophical principle. Questions up to here? This should be pretty obvious. Okay, now I want to make the same point about normative equality. Here it isn't obvious at all, but I think it is just as correct. Normative equality means everyone should be treated equally. We think of that as the hallmark of a democratic society. Everybody counts equally. Everybody's treated the same. Equality before the law. You have the statuary representation of justice is always usually a woman holding scales blindfolded. Blindfolded means it doesn't make any difference who you are. Everybody gets exactly the same treatment. You're a human being, you get exactly the same treatment. Well, let's see. Let's see if that's correct. Um, let's take, for example, taxation. Does everybody pay the same taxes? I don't think so. Not the last time I checked. Taxes are justified because you receive certain benefits from the government and you should pay for them. That's fair enough. But then, as near as is practical, a person should pay for the benefits he gets. There are people in... Western democratic societies, and in this respect, people think it's moral. There are people who don't pay anything for the benefits that they get. And there are other people who pay 10 times the value of the benefits that they get. Is that equal treatment? Of course, you could always say, if the poor person had more money, then we would tax him also. Kind of hypothetical equality. We have rules for how to treat people, and they differentiate people. And um, if you were in the other group, then you would be treated that way also. Not that we have anything against you, it's just the group that you happen to be in. That idea, I, I think at the very least, needs considerable, careful development. Suppose one had said to women before 1920, when the United States amended its constitution to allow women to vote, suppose someone had said to women, you're not being discriminated against that you can't vote. If you were a man, you could vote. That's fair. You just don't happen to be a man. We're not discriminating against you. It's just a group. I don't think that uh, they would have been satisfied with that. So the idea of hypothetical equality, we just have different rules for different groups, but if you were in that group, you too would have the rules of that group. doesn't sound like real equality. Real equality means you're treated the same, not if you were somebody else, you'd be treated differently. 
Let's take another example. How about the obligation to serve in the army to protect your country, population? We don't have a draft in the United States at the present time. I remember when there was a draft. And the draft law read something like this. Every 18-year-old American citizen uh, is uh, to be drafted unless, unless that 18-year-old American citizen is female or is a college student or suffers from various disabilities or two of whose family members have died in foreign wars in the United States. When you got finished with the exceptions, maybe 40% of the 18-year-olds were eligible for the draft. 60% were exempt. Well, this is the responsibility to die for your country. Some soldiers actually die. Is this being applied equally to everyone? Doesn't sound like it. Only 40% are bearing the burden and 60% are getting off free. Well, um, doesn't sound like equal treatment. Let's take education. A certain amount of money is put into the education bill, raised through taxation. Does every student in the United States, in the public school system, get equal treatment? I don't think so. Let's take, for example, people who, has, uh, who have handicaps of various types. An enormously greater amount of money is spent on their education than on the education of the average student, whether the person is blind or deaf or physically uh, say, um, disabled in certain ways. Well, I should say handicapped. Um, a great deal more money is spent on their education. That equal treatment doesn't sound like it. Yeah. Let's say they, say they get equal education. In order to provide that equal education, it's more expensive. Okay. This gentleman suggests that they get equal education. It's just hard to provide. It. It's harder to provide. It, more expensive to provide it for them. This is a third concept of equality, which I didn't introduce at the beginning, not to make it too complicated, and that's equality of outcome. Making people equal. I'll come to that in the end. We'll talk about that. Uh, but it's, it's a third concept of equality. And you yourself, in the way you put your question, recognize that. I'm treating him unequally in order to make him as equal as I can make him. That's quite right. I'll, I'll, come, I'll come to that. Um, let's take voting. What is more characteristic of a democratic society than the right to vote? Does everyone equally have the right to vote? Well, let's see. First of all, there's an age requirement. A 17-year-old has his whole life governed by the laws, and he has no input whatsoever because he can't vote. There is a certain point where a child is where a kid doesn't have the knowledge to vote, so they have to draw the line somewhere. I understand, understand what I... <laughs> you're quite right, but... D Keep clear in your mind the difference between denying that it's true versus explaining why it's right that it should be that way. 
What you're doing is explaining why it's righteous. It should be that way. You're explaining why people should not be treated equally. I agree with you 100%, but that doesn't deny that they're being treated unequally. They're being treated unequally for a very good reason. My point is only that they're being treated unequally. I'm not criticizing this. I'm not criticizing this. In all the cases that I'm giving, I believe that the treatment is correct. I believe it's appropriate. That's my point. My point is that when we say we believe in equality of treatment, we don't really. In many, many cases, we believe in unequal treatment. And you've given a good reason why. I mean, I, and I agree with you 100%. By the way, uh, some decades ago, the voting age was 21. And one of the strong arguments that was made for lowering the voting age to 18 was, going to go into the army and die for your country, you ought to have a say about whether you, sh- whether you should go or not. That argument made no reference to intelligence or information or education. That's why some people opposed it. <laughs> uh, but but it, it carried the day. So, but I, but I, just let's keep the logical point in, in uh, clear focus. I'm saying this, it's, the treatment is unequal. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying whether it's good or bad. I'm inclined to think it is good in all the cases that I'm mentioning. And uh, explaining why it's appropriate is to agree with me that it is, in fact, unequal, and to add that it's unequal for a good reason. I'm, happy, I'm quite happy with that. Well, let's go back to voting. What about residence requirements? A person who lives in Fairlawn, New Jersey, and commutes to Manhattan for his job, his livelihood depends upon the laws of New York City and New York State. He has absolutely no say, because you vote in terms of where your residence is and where, you vote, where you're working. It's just not relevant to your voting. What about resident aliens who are not American citizens? Their lives are governed by the laws entirely, and they can't vote. What about... Huh? Sorry? Now you're, you're, see, now you're on his page. You're saying, of course they shouldn't vote. Of course they should be treated unequally. I agree. I'm just pointing out... Sorry again? I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. My point, uh, let, me, uh, maybe, uh, let me just say where I'm going, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish. I'm trying to give you examples where everyone will agree that people should be treated unequally so that... The principle we started with, the intuitive principle, everyone should be treated equally, now is in tatters, right? It's in shreds on the ground. We don't, in fact, feel that everyone should be treated equally. We have very good reason for treating people unequally, right? And therefore, we're going to draw a conclusion that this, what we thought of as a fundamental principle of morality and social political thinking, that everyone must be treated equally, is simply a mistake. But it's pretty simply a mistake. Uh, what about criminals? There are certain criminals who lose the right to vote. So, again, we don't just give everyone equally the right to vote. The truth is, I think it could be put this way, um, that for each right and each responsibility, there is a particular group, which I would call the target group, a particular group of people for whom this right and this responsibility is appropriate. And when people have social and political debates, when they use the language of equality, equality is not really the issue. The issue really is, have you got the right group? Maybe the group should be broader than we thought, or more narrower than we thought, 
It's not a question of equality. Let me give you an example of how the debate goes and, and how equality is really a, a red herring here. Um, let's go back to women's suffrage, women's right to vote. Those women and those men who joined them campaigning for women's right to vote, were they campaigning for equality? Let's see. Did they want women drafted into the army? Did they want unisex bathrooms? What were they campaigning for? Women's equality? Not at all. Were they campaigning for voting equality? Did they want 15-year-olds to vote? Did they want resident aliens to vote? No. It wasn't equality for women across the board. It wasn't equality for voting across the board. What they said was, the target group for voting shouldn't be determined by sex. It shouldn't be determined by sex. Sex is not relevant. Age is relevant. Criminal status is relevant. Citizenship is relevant. And women are different from men with respect to various other factors. But when you're talking about the appropriate target group for voting, it shouldn't be determined by sex. That's really what's going on. And to talk about equality as if it were a general principle and applicable across the board is simply to misstate the nature of the debate. Um, now, I've been talking about this for about uh, 30 years. In 1983, we had a student here from Michigan Law School. He just finished his degree at Michigan Law School. And he had a professor named Peter Weston. Peter Weston published a paper in the Harvard Law Review called The Empty Idea of Equality. And he told me that this fellow Weston has been actually published such a paper with this thesis. And it was criticized in the Michigan Law Review, the Yale Law Review, and the Georgia Law Review. And he wrote replies to all of those criticisms. So I went and got it. We couldn't get it online those days. But I went to the library and Xeroxed it all up and read it. It makes fascinating reading. Fascinating reading. He even took the argument a step further that I hadn't considered. So perhaps someone will say that, true, there are reasons why people should be treated unequally. But that's only when you have a positive reason. Equality is the default position. Treat everyone equally unless you have a positive reason to treat them unequally. So then you at least have as a background, as the preferred position, equal treatment, unless some reason dictated otherwise. But uh, Weston argued that even that isn't true. Consider a case like this. You are a sergeant in the army and you have under your command a group of 20 soldiers and tomorrow you've planned a three-day hike with 40-pound packs 25 miles a day. Late in the afternoon one of your soldiers comes to you and says I've just done a physical checkup at the infirmary and they've detected a heart murmur and therefore I shouldn't go on the hike. So you say, well, okay, I mean, get a, a, a note from the officer in charge, you know, the medical officer, and of course you'll be excused. And he says, the medical officer has just been called on an emergency, and he's going to be away for two days. There's no one with the authority to sign the note. Okay. Now, the hike is tomorrow. So you have to make a decision. Shall you treat him 
equally with everyone else? I take him on the hike? Or shall you treat him unequally? I leave him behind. I think you will weigh your options. Let's suppose I try each one and suppose I'm wrong. If I leave him behind and I'm wrong, he's just making it up, so he'll, you know, miss the hike and do something else. And it'll be a failure of discipline. If I take him on the hike and it's a mistake and he really has a heart problem, he could drop dead on the hike. That won't be good for me. So considering the options, I think I'm going to leave him behind and treat him unequally. Without positive knowledge that he is unequal, just the possibility that he's unequal, I'm going to treat him unequally. What that shows, says Weston, is that we don't have a general principle of equality. We simply calculate the consequences of the treatment and we make the best decision determined by the probable consequences. Sometimes even possible consequences. So it comes out, says Weston, let me just finish my exposition, what he says, and I'll take your question. He says the word equality just causes confusion. And he gives examples not only from law, but from ethics. And he says if we would erase the word equality from the dictionary, all we would lose is confusion. Arguments would be clearer, and the arguments, that, that the reasons that were given would really apply to the case in question, and you wouldn't have this false picture that if you're sitting against equality, then your position is either certainly wrong or it's got some terrible strike against it, when in fact equality plays absolutely no role in the, uh, no, no positive role in the argument. It just uh, serves to confuse the issues. Yeah. Um, okay, there is some reasoning behind it, but the question is, where do I have where do I have information that will determine whether he's equal or unequal? I'm in a position of doubt. I don't know whether he's equal or not. Now, um, if you tell me that in a case of doubt where I don't know whether or not he's equal, it can be right to treat him unequally, then I've lost the sense in which. Uh, 